heart when I see young people get excited about serving the Lord and worshiping the Lord. About 30 years ago, and before that as well, uh, I, I used to teach uh, junior high and high school uh, in the public school. And uh, so I'm, I have a, a really soft heart for, for kids. But I'm, I'm, I just get overwhelmed sometimes in, in seeing what they have to face each and every day if they are in public schools especially, but just being out in the world and the influences that they have to deal with. I, I would really encourage you that if you have a prayer list that you keep and praying, praying for all kinds of things, would you put our youth at the, near the top of that list and pray for them each and every day? Because they are indeed living in dangerous times. But every time we pray for them and every time we support them in going to retreats of this sort and of this nature where they really listen together with others and, and, uh, and, and everything is focused upon them to, to, you know, to hear messages from the Lord, that it is an investment. We are investing in their lives for eternity. And it is something that the world doesn't teach. It doesn't teach about eternity. We're going to talk a little bit about that today. But this is something that I would just encourage you to do each and every day. Pray for our youth. And then also pray for them to share the love of Christ with their friends and their schoolmates and, and classmates. Because they're the, they're the light in, in dark places, folks, in our schools. They're the light. Pray for our Christian teachers who are teaching in, in uh, uh, public school situations as well. They are the light where it's, there's a lot of darkness. So I, this just encourages me, and I, I just want to let you know that it's, it's, it's worth the investment to, to get those kids to these retreats as well as, uh, as, well as to pray for them and their, their lives in the future. Well, this morning we're going to... Uh, finish the uh, 25th chapter of the book of Genesis. So if you'll turn there in your Bibles and uh, remember that, uh, you know, most of what you're going to be reading is in the Bible. I'm going to give you a lot of references. There'll be some verses up here that you'll see and, and, and read with me. But mostly when you get the reference, it's a big, long passage. So you want to make sure you, you catch up with me. And of course, if you really want to catch up and you missed a lot of stuff, uh, get a CD. So... Uh, but anyway, Genesis chapter 25, I've entitled this a lesson on birthright, and you'll see now what happens uh, out of that conflict that we saw last time where Esau and Jacob were in the womb of, of, of Rebekah, and there was that struggle within her. And uh, we're going to kind of build on that particular idea a little bit uh, here at the beginning. But... Uh, Isaac and Rebekah. Rebekah had been barren, and yet the Lord blessed her because God was faithful to give his promise to Abraham that uh, he would have a seed that, of course, would, uh, would lead to the, uh, the birth of Messiah. And uh, Isaac was certainly a part of that promise, and uh, God, of course, as always, comes through. But now these twins are growing, and they're actually grown, as we see in verse 27. So we'll begin there. So, the boys grew. And Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. 
But Jacob was a mild man, dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Now Jacob cooked a stew and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew for I am weary. Therefore his name was called Edom. But Jacob said, Sell me your birthright as of this day. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, so what is this birthright to me? Then Jacob said, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and a stew of lentils. And then he ate and drank, arose, and went his way. Do you notice that I kind of highlighted that phrase and went his way? Highlight that. That's significant. Esau went his own way. And notice the result at the end of the verse. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Oh, by the way, just a reminder. Next Sunday, daylight savings time starts at 2 a.m. So, just just a reminder. I thought about doing this because I, I realized that we need that reinforcement. Because I don't want you here wondering what time it is next Sunday. So, just, just a reminder there. Okay? Well, I'm sure that most of you know that both the vulture and the hummingbird fly over our nation's deserts. All vultures see is rotting meat, because that is what they look for. They look for rotting meat. They thrive on that diet. But hummingbirds ignore the smelly flesh of dead animals. Instead, they look for the colorful blossoms of desert plants. Now, the vultures live on what was. They live on the past. They fill themselves with what is dead and gone. But hummingbirds, they live on what is. They seek new life. They they fill themselves with freshness and with life. But here's the point of, of all of this. Because, of course, we know that they live naturally as God created them to do what they do and seek what they seek from that standpoint of instinct and all of that. But but I, I just want to draw a spiritual connection here for a moment. Because each bird, each bird finds what it is looking for. Each bird finds what it is looking for. But so do we. And the question is, what are we looking for? What are we looking for? What is our motivation in this life that God has given us? Are we looking for those things that are eternal or are we only looking for those things that are temporal, 
earthly. That won't last. That's the question here. Each bird finds what it is looking for, but so do we. Because it matters what we look for. And these birds serve as illustrations and types contrasting those who are tempted to make impulsive decisions with those who make preparations in order to make wise choices in life. The birds, because of their nature, they only choose to find what they're looking for because that's how God built them. But not man. We choose. We choose what to look for. There are some of us here today that have made hasty decisions in our lives. And it has resulted in a lot of regret. Hasty decisions often lead to regrets. Esau made an impulsive decision in trading away his birthright for some bread and lentil soup. Solomon would one day write in the book of Proverbs and Proverbs 22, verses 3 and 4, he would, he would write, A prudent man foresees evil and hides himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. You see, do you see the contrast here? A, a person who is prudent, a person who is wise, he, he foresees evil, he prepares, he plans. And if necessary, hides himself. But a simple person, a person who, is, who has these impulsive, natural sort of tendencies will, will just go on into what they are seeing and looking for and they're punished. And it tells us that by humility and the fear of the Lord, this is where we find the blessings that God wants to give us. Wise people make preparations for various situations so, so they are not tempted to make impulsive decisions that, that they will always regret. Some to tears. When a person is led by their fleshly impulses, they tend to give in to their sinful nature. Such was the case with Esau, who, was, who, who disregarded the riches that he possessed with his birthright because he chose to surrender to his fleshly appetite. We are all certainly given by the Lord the ability and opportunity to resist every temptation, Paul, I think, you know, said it best in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, when he said, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, he said. God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape, that you may be able to bear it. So graciously, the Lord gives each person a way to escape big and small temptations if we will only choose His ways instead of our fleshly desires. That's why that little phrase in that one verse is so important. And He went His way. How many of us today who profess Christ as Lord and Savior, we only do so with our mouth, but with our lives, we just go our own way. So with those, th- with those things in mind, I, I, I just want you to consider that as we go into our text today. And we want to start in verse 27 here, in verse one, uh, which is our verse 1, verse 27 of chapter 25. So, so the boys grew, it says. Esau and, a- and Jacob grew. And, and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field. But Jacob was a mild man. 
dwelling in tents. That little phrase, my old man, while the other is a hunter, you know, kind of gives us some weird pictures. I think even preachers have oftentimes said, you know, that, that Esau is a, is a manly man while Jacob was a, was a girly man, you know, type, type of thing, you know. Well, all due respect to girls. But uh, in, in any event, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, Jacob was less than a man, as, as it were, because he was, a, you, know, un, uh, you know, sitting around, you know, Rebecca's uh, skirts all the time. You know, but, but uh, that's not the point here. As a matter of fact, we're going to find out that's, that's really not the picture that we're being given. I mentioned last week at the, at the close of the study that, that the struggle within the womb of Rebecca was, was symbolic of two natures being exposed. There were two natures being exposed inside. You know, and this is why it was so important for us to see that there was this, this struggle within her womb, the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirits. That's, that's the symbolism. The nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. It, it's talked about throughout the scriptures. The Apostle Paul mentions it a few times in his letters. The battle between the flesh and the spirit and the spirit and the flesh goes on. And he's telling that to the church. He's not just telling that to unbelievers. He's telling that to us. That, that, that battle goes on each and every day within us, doesn't it? That's why I ended the last week in, uh, with Romans 6 verse 6. And I'll, I'll, I'll begin with that here today. It says, knowing this, Paul said, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. And what Paul is saying to us in this is that it is to know that through the cross of Jesus Christ that we triumph over all that we are by natural birth. Through the cross of Jesus Christ, we know that we triumph over all that we are by natural birth. What are we by natural birth? We're sinners. We're born sinners. But our victory was won for us on the cross of Jesus Christ. It is through the cross that the old nature is dealt with and put in its place, which is the place of death. In other words, the struggle is resolved in the death of Jesus Christ, who is the only and true Lamb of God. And the struggle is resolved even within the womb of of Rebecca. Because you have to carry through this whole picture, this whole illustration. These these types are carried throughout all of, of, of time. To show us that there is this, this wrestling between the, the, the nature of the flesh and the nature of the spirit. And the Apostle Paul said, it is at that place of death for us. Just as Paul also wrote in Galatians chapter 2 verse 20, For I am cru- crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. He says, I am crucified. I'm, crucifixion is death. Nevertheless, I live, and not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This applies to what we're seeing here today between these two men, Esau and Jacob. Because as we arrive now at our text for today, the opposing principles these brothers, Esau and Jacob, represent are going to be brought into the open. It is significant that time will not heal the breach between these brothers, between these twins, the rivalry would only grow. As one commentator put it, he said, There is no discharge in the warfare between the spirit and the flesh. In the case of Esau and Jacob, the struggle went on to come to a head when Jacob brought Christ into the world and Esau brought Herod. Do you see how long this struggle lasts? How long this struggle takes? 
Jacob would be certainly the, the one who is in that line to bring Jesus Christ, to bring Jesus Christ into the world. But there's something that we need to also remember when we read the Gospels, especially early on in the Gospels. Matthew and, and Luke especially. There's mention of a family. And in that family are the Herods. And the Herods were Idumeans. Idumean. Which means that it comes from Edom. We read the word Edom today. This is what Esau was called. Edom means red. Now Esau means hairy, so he was, his name was hairy, but his nickname was red, obviously. But that name comes from another name that we learned early on in the book of Genesis, and that is the word Adam, Adam means red like the red of the dirt because Adam came from the dust of the ground. The rich soil of the dust of the ground. And that struggle continued even in the day of Jesus between Esau and Jacob. Now as we look at verse 27, it would appear and many would consider that Esau was more as I said, of the, uh, of the manly man, while Jacob was seen as a mama's boy, but that assumption is completely misleading. While it is true that Esau was a cunning hunter and a man of the field, while Jacob was a plain man who stayed close to home, Jacob was anything but a weakling. The word describing Jacob in our text is the word mild man, or the word mild. And that in the Hebrew is the word tam, T-A-M which actually means perfect and complete. What an interesting thing that here Jacob would be called perfect and complete because we know what the name Jacob means. It means thief, deceiver, supplanter, schemer, manipulator, heel catcher. A lot of neat stuff for that poor name Jacob. But here God, in His eternal perspective, says He is a perfect and complete man. Only Jacob can be seen that way by God. Because God has seen the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. But that's how He sees us too. We look in the mirror and what do we see? We see sinners. Because that's what we are. We were born in sin. Now, what has changed is the nature Because of Jesus Christ. Because we have trusted in Christ. But we're still in flesh and we still make mistakes. And we still say things that we ought not to say. And we still do things that we shouldn't do and all of that. But praise the Lord for the forgiveness of the Lord and the very fact that He died on the cross taking all of our sins there. So when God sees us, He sees us from that perspective as perfect and complete. We'll see that at the end of our study today. So here, uh, Jacob is called perfect and complete. Now the word Tom is found 13 times in the Hebrew Scriptures or the Old Testament, and it is usually translated as blameless. In most cases, it, it means blameless. It is what God said to Satan about Job in Job chapters 1 and 2. 
He called him. He's a blameless man. He's a Tom. He's, he's, he's perfect and he's complete because he trusts in me. In the Song of Solomon, it is translated. The word is translated as perfect. But this is the only verse that translates the word as mild. And perhaps maybe the translators just had a hard time calling Jacob perfect and, and blameless. <laughs> they called him mild for whatever reason. And so in essence, Esau, going now to Esau, Esau chose the kind of life that would have pleased his ancestor Cain. Now notice I said he chose the kind of life that would please his ancestor Cain. Now, we know what Cain did, right? Because while you're thinking about it, Jacob chose the kind of life that would have pleased his ancestor Abel. This is the kind of differences that were between these two brothers. Just like those first two brothers, Cain and Abel. And we know what happened to Abel. Cain killed him. But Esau also chose something of the character and the nature of of another ancestor of theirs, which was Nimrod who was a skillful hunter or a mighty hunter, it says, against the Lord. And that's the very same idea anytime we see that hunter mentioned here. And it's not to say that all hunters are that way. I'll talk about that later. But the fact is that we are being given through these examples some kind of an understanding of where Esau was coming from. Jacob totally, on the other hand, had more of a heart to protect. He he was pastoral. He was productive. he He was protective. And we see in the next verse somewhat of how the boys developed in their life because in Genesis 25:28 it says that Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game uh, but uh, Rebekah loved Jacob. Now what's wrong with this picture? Look at it and tell me what's wrong with this picture. Well, don't just everybody start talking. Don't do that. But but think about it. What's wrong with this picture? Two things. First of all, it says that Isaac loved Esau because He ate of his game. The word because is a word that implies conditions. Is that how we love our children? With conditions? No, we love them. When they were first born, when, when your children were first born and you saw them, you, you did, you know, you did, you look beyond the fact that they look like some kind of a weird little lizard. You said, that's the most beautiful baby in the world. Because you're a good parent. So, no matter how your children came out, you love them. Unconditionally. Alright, so that's the first first problem here. There's a a, a condition. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. Now, to be fair, Rebecca just loved Jacob. That's the contrast. But don't think that Rebecca goes away unscathed here because you see... She had her favorite too. And that's the second problem. Parents aren't to have favorites. Are they? No. Not to have favorites. It's interesting to me that Esau, Esau happened to reign supreme over his, father's Isaac, his father Isaac's affections simply by pandering to his appetites. So we could probably turn this toward Esau here for just a moment. Pandering to Isaac's appetites. And Jacob likewise. He reigned over his mother Rebekah's heart merely by being himself. Esau sought to gratify and indulge Isaac's palate for game meats. 
In other words, it was as if he said to Isaac, love me for what I can give you and satisfy you with. There are too many people in this world, even in the church, there are too many people that, that just go to people and try to do things to impress them or to do things to, uh, to be uh, appreciated or, or to be accepted, right? We, none, none of you do that, but, but a lot, there are some people that do that, right? There are some people that try to do things just to be appreciated or they do things to impress others. It happens. So that leads to this kind of uh, love with conditions. Yet the, the Apostle Paul, centuries later, would write this. He would say in Romans fourteen seventeen, For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about what you eat. It's not about what anybody eats. It's not about what you drink. It's, it's about righteousness. It's about peace. It's about joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what it's about. That's what the kingdom of God is about. That's, see, that's keeping an eternal perspective. That's keeping eternal, uh, an eternal perspective on eternal values. We are to love one another in the church. We are to love one another to show the world that we are His disciples. It, doesn't, it never tells us you know, to what degree we are to love one another. We are just to love one another. But we love one another by serving one another. And by showing the love of Christ to each other. And then the world will know that we are his disciples by the love that we have. But when we turn it into conditions, there's problems, you see. Now, to some degree, as Jesus made his appeal to us simply on the ground of being who he is, Jacob was saying to Rebecca, love me because I am what I am. Well, that's something we already know. The Lord loves us in spite of us, doesn't he? It's something we already know. God loves us, but He doesn't love us because we've done anything. As a matter of fact, we've only sinned. That's what we bring into this relationship, our sin. That's all we've got. It, it, God isn't looking for anything uh, on our, our good side because there's nothing good in us. That's what the Bible says. So, in, in effect, what, what, what Jacob is saying to, you know, well, you know, if he was saying anything to Rebecca, it was, love me because I am what I am. So it brings us to this point that we, need, we, we know it's wrong for parents to show partiality. And Isaac and Rebecca were no exceptions as they put their natural desire above the spiritual. And this made for a difficult situation. Nevertheless, especially since the Lord in this case had already revealed his plan and preference, hadn't he? The Lord had revealed his plan and he revealed his preference. What was his preference? He stated to Rebecca, the older will serve the younger. That's already stated. But that was God's plan. Well, Rebecca would err only on the side of grace. She loved the one that was chosen by God. And the appeal toward love would be seen years later, after Christ's resurrection. In a little incident before Jesus is, 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 is before Jesus ascends into heaven, he goes to Galilee, to Galilee where the where the apostles had gone after the death of Jesus, and he prepares a breakfast for them on the shore. And they come in and they see Jesus and they know it's him and they and they fellowship with him, but. There was a very special moment with Peter and Jesus. 
We're told in John 21, verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than these? Now I'm telling you that this is a deep question for us today. Do we love Jesus more than everyone? More than everyone who's in our lives? Do we love Jesus more than the things that we have? More than the things that we've accumulated? More than the things that we have desired? More than the things that we, that we seek after and hope after and hope for today? Do we love Jesus more than these things? And Jesus would actually pose that question to Paul two more times. Simply by asking him, Peter or Simon, do you love me? Do you love me? So how do you answer the Lord? How will we answer the Lord? Do we love Him? How do we, know? How do we show it? Three times He said, in different ways, He said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Care for them. How do we show that love? Here's where, we, here's where we have to come to grips with where our values lie. Do our values lie in eternal things or do they lie in temporal things? We'll only love Jesus so, so far, but then what keeps us from loving Him into eternity? Because He's all about eternity, folks. He's not just about what happens here on this earth. Getting back to Esau and Jacob, the conflict between them now began to grow into a greater confrontation. And and at some point in time, the opposing principles had to confront each other openly and eternal issues would be made clear and plain. And again, two sets of values are being presented or represented by each brother. Esau-minded earthly things. Esau-minded earthly things. Jacob-minded eternal things. Now, we won't see that immediately with Jacob, but we, we will see it eventually. But nonetheless, that's what they represent. Esau represents minding just the earthly things of life, while Jacob will represent minding the things that are of eternal value. So with that, we go into this next section, the last section, verses 29 through 34. Let me read it to you. And you follow along in your Bibles. Now, Jacob cooked a stew. Jacob would have been great on Food Network. Because, I mean, he, he just hung around the kitchen a lot. And he cooked a stew. And, and, and Esau came in from the field and he was weary. And Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me with that same red stew, for I am weary. And therefore his name was called Edom. So he was called Esau and he was called Edom. And again, he would be, the, of course, the... Uh, the ancestor or the progenitor, as it were, of the Edomites, as, uh, as we'll see later. But Jacob said, now Jacob has a little bit of that connivingness coming out. He says, sell me your birthright as of this day. You want to eat my stew? Sell me your birthright. I'll give you a bowl of stew, you give me your birthright. And Esau said, look, 
I'm about to die. So what is this birthright to me? And Jacob said, okay, well, swear to me as of this day. So he swore to him and he sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and, uh, and stew of lentils. Oh, that sounds so good. And then he ate and he drank and he arose and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Esau despised his birthright. Isn't that sad? He despised something that God would have given him. Too many people today are despising the things that God has given to them. Has He not given us life? Has He not given us breath? But we use all of those things, mental capacity, gifts, talents, we use all those things for ourselves or for other things rather than to give glory to God. That's what Jacob did. I'm sorry, Esau. So here we come to our lesson on birthright. Oh, by the way, there's that stew of lentils. Just to get you to start thinking about lunch a little bit. As Esau returned from his hunting trip, it may be that he came up empty and was certainly starving from his excursion. Might be that that's what happened. That's why he sa- it says that he was weary because he didn't catch anything. Quite possible. Some hunters go out and they, you know, they just don't find any game that's cooperative. You know, any deers will just stand there so they can shoot them. <laughs> They don't get their deer. They don't, you know, the, the doves decide not to come out. Same with fishermen, you know. As fisher, I, 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 those of you that are fishermen, you've had those days, right? You go out and you put the lines out there and you get a lot of bites, but you don't get any fish, you know. So you go, you go, you go to, to Walmart and, and you come home and you say, look, honey, what could I cut? <laughs> so, so, you know, all that stuff, right? But, but there's times when you're just weary because you haven't caught anything. So that could have been the problem. Or it may be that he came back faint because nothing in the field could satisfy him. Think about that for a moment. You know, we can, we can all, find all kinds of things to do in life. We go from one hobby to another or we go from one thing to another and we just, we're trying all kinds of things and then we get satisfied with something for a little while. Then we just say, you know, I'm just tired of that. I want to go on to something else. Something that will satisfy me even more. That's the flesh, folks, by the way. That's just the flesh. It's just, we're just not satisfied with anything. So he was probably, well, you know, I'm a hunter, but, you know, I'm just kind of weary of that. I just even, didn't even care about hunting. Whatever. Whatever the case may have been, the closer that Esau got home, or got to his home, the more he could smell the aroma of Jacob's stew. And his appetites were, were taking over. And how significant it is that Esau wanted everything here and now. That's significant. Because that's the way the world is. We want everything here and now. We want it instant. We, we need it right now. We don't want to wait. That's what the problem is with, with charging everything in life. Because we can charge it today. I can charge it today. I'll pay off it later, right? Because we want it here and now. We don't save up anymore like we used to, right? You all understand the, the, you know, the concept there, right? See? You all are afraid to answer because you, you, you've been caught, you know, guilty here. So that's, that's the thing. You know, we, we, we want everything in the here and now. That's fleshly, folks. That's worldly. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall walk and not be weary. They shall run and not faint. If we wait on the Lord, what blessings there are. 
But sometimes in the world, people don't want to weigh for anything. I mean, we used to mash potatoes. Now we just add water. See, it's a concept. His life, Esau's life, was now being exposed for what it was. It was utterly destitute of spiritual values. Completely destitute of spiritual values. And that is sad. It is sad because Esau grew up in the same house as Jacob. And both sons of Isaac and Rebekah heard the stories of how God blessed Abraham. How God loved Abraham. How God became Abraham's friend and, 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 and Abraham became God's friend. And how God appeared to him. How God protected him. How God chose him. How God promised him. How God gave him all the things that he promised. And, and that they were part of that promise. They heard the stories. And yet it was Esau who just walked away. Despised those things. He's a true example of that natural man that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But that first phrase, they are foolishness to him, that is the choice that many people make today. They choose not to listen to the things of God or to even to receive the things of God. That's the foolishness of the world today, folks. They will talk bad about Jesus and talk bad about God and talk bad about the Word of God and they'll talk bad about the church but never once have they opened a Bible to read it. Isn't that sad? They've got opinions but they're ignorant opinions. And unfortunately... Paul is writing this to the church because there are people even in the church today who have turned toward being what is described as a carnal Christian. You know, that's that's an oxymoron. It's just saying that we're, we're, we're being like the world and not understanding the things of God when we should understand the things of God because it's been presented to us, it's been given to us. We have Bibles in our homes. Are they collecting dust? Or are they collecting bookmarks? Are your Bibles collecting tears? Because you have them open when you pray for your family and your lost loved ones or your lost friends. It happened all so suddenly. A few hasty words. And the door of spiritual privilege was slammed shut behind Esau. How sad. Because you see, the birthright spoke of two things. It spoke of a physical blessing and a spiritual blessing. The person who was given the birthright received a double portion of the inheritance and would be the spiritual leader in the family when the father passed on. That was the physical part of it all. But he would also, as in this case, inherit the covenant that God had made with Abraham. And thus, Jacob, 
Jacob was wheeling and dealing to get what God had promised him in the first place. Because he said, the Lord had said, the, the younger will be served by the older. So it was wasted. Wasted time. What Jacob was doing to acquire this birthright. And then Esau just gave it away. But to clarify, I'll come back to that point here in just a moment. There are scriptures in the Old Testament that talk about the birthright. For example, Deuteronomy 21 verse 17. Now, this particular issue is a, is, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of a specific issue about it, but it's in the middle that we want to look at it. It talks about a double portion of all that he has. So he shall acknowledge the son of the unloved wife, who, who if, if the unloved wife was given uh, the firstborn uh, to, to the, the man, a double portion of all that he has, uh, for he is the beginning of his strength, the, the right of the firstborn is his. Um, that's a very specific issue. But the point is that there was a double portion for the one who had the birthright. And then the other passage, which was First Corinthians, I'm sorry, First Chronicles chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It says, Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, he was indeed the firstborn, but because he defiled his father's bed, his birthright was given to the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel, so that the genealogy is not listed according to the birthright, yet Judah prevailed over his brothers, and from him came a ruler, although the birthright was Joseph. So here is, again, some exceptions to the rule, but nonetheless, it just lets us know that there was a birthright in laws to the birthright. And even in other uh, uh, cultures around Israel at that time, or around, I shouldn't say Israel, but actually before Israel, but in, in Abraham's time, in the patriarch's time, uh, there were uh, other cultures that had laws that were very similar, laws of the birthright. But Jacob knew. Jacob knew that the birthright was valuable, and he desired it. He wanted it. He wanted it even in the womb. That's where the struggle was. And Esau, on the other hand, didn't think much of it until it was too late. Think about that for a moment. He didn't think much of that birthright until it was too late. I don't want any of you who are struggling with the issues of, of sin and in your life to give up the birthright in essence, to, to, to give up the blessings that God wants to give you and then find out it's just too late once you give them up. I'm, 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 just, I'm just saying that we, we need to be conscious of the very fact that we need to stay eternally focused in our lives. Because what it will do is give us indication that we're not eternally focused. When, he, when, when Esau said in verse 32, look, I'm about to die, so what profit shall this birthright be to me? He wasn't saying that he was so hungry that he would die without food. He was a hunter. Hunters go out, if, if they need to eat something, they'll eat a plant. They'll eat berries or they'll, they'll find something that they could eat out there. They won't, they won't die of hunger. That's not what he's saying. What he meant was this, and I put it out there for you. He said, I am going to die anyway, so what good is a birthright to me? You see, that is the way a lot of people in the world think today. They don't have anything to do with God or spirituality, any, any spiritual issues or any spiritual things or any biblical things. They don't want anything to do with it. Hey, I'm going to die anyway, so what, what good is all of that for me? What good is it? But that reveals even more about this person named Esau because we're told in Hebrews chapters 12, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 12, verses 15 and 16, 
Something very significant about the character of Esau. It says, uh, Paul says, looking carefully, lest anyone shall fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble. Folks, I want to stop there for just a moment and tell you right now, if there is a root of bitterness in your heart against somebody in the church, get it right, right now. Because you're living in sin if you carry any bitterness or any root of bitterness in your heart towards somebody. You've got to get it right. Because God doesn't want... See, that's what, that's what hurts the church today. That there's so much bitterness. Why should there be bitterness in the church? We have taken our eyes off of eternal values, put them on temporal issues, and we try to live by those temporal issues in the church. I'm sorry, it doesn't work. Bitterness is not a fruit of the Spirit. But love is, and joy, and peace, and goodness, and kindness, and mercy. These are, these are the things that we need to be sharing with one another. We need to quit being proud, and quit taking stands for ourselves, and start taking a stand on the love of Christ. Are you hearing me? I'm tired of this in the church. We hold grudges against each other. Even in families. What a pain that is. And the world looks at that and says, if that's Christianity, I don't want any part of it. Becomes a terrible witness. Anyway, it goes on. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. Notice this. Profane person like Esau who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For one morsel of food, he sold his birthright because he was a profane person. Now, to be profane means to be unhallowed or to be unsanctified, uh, to be unholy, to be defiled, and to be polluted. In a word, it means to be earthly, worldly, or fleshly. All of the world's lustful passions are wrapped up in that phrase that we read for one morsel of food. All of the world's passions are wrapped up in that phrase. One morsel of food. It was the bartering of eternal glory for present passion. It was evaluating God's promises as cheap and worthless. Folks, think and examine your heart before we come to the table of communion today. Are we considering anything that is given to us by God as cheap and as worthless? Because if we are, we need to get our hearts right right now. And while a lot can be said about Jacob's scheming and his manipulation in this matter to gain something that God said was already his, the far greater blame is to be placed on Esau who despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. And there's something very interesting about this. Jacob was buying what was already his. What a waste. He was buying what was already his. But Esau was selling something that didn't belong to him. What waste. We will learn as we continue on in our study of Jacob that because of what he did as a means of acquiring the birthright, He would have to flee for his life. Esau wasn't very happy with his brother. We'll see that story as we get to it. But in effect, he was not permitted to enjoy that birthright. He wasn't permitted to enjoy it until he meets 
with the angel of the Lord. Until he gets his, his, his heart right with God. And that's when we discover that he really goes after the things of eternal value. And you know how God has to humble uh, Jacob? Go to your brother Esau. That episode's coming up. But before we come to the table of communion this morning, let me leave you with this quote by Donald Gray Barnhouse, who wrote this. He said, History shows that men prefer illusions to realities, choose time rather than eternity, and the pleasures of sin for a season rather than the joys of God forever. Men will read trash rather than the Word of God and adhere to a system of priorities that leave God out of their lives. Multitudes of men spend more time shaving than on their souls. And multitudes of women give more minutes to their makeup than to the life of the eternal spirit. So, all of us were covered on that statement. Men still sell their birthright for a mess of pottage. Men still sell their birthright for one morsel of food. And isn't that sad? Before we come to this table of communion, and we will in just a moment, I want to mention to you that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ today, you have an inheritance. You've been given a birthright through Jesus Christ. And Paul clarifies that for us in a considerable passage found in in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. And so let me read this to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. Now notice this. He has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. How many is that? All. All spiritual blessings. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. By the way, the first service was more awake than you guys. I... Just have to tell you that, but just, you know, throwing it out there. Just as He chose us in Him, a very significant phrase, in Him, before the foundation of the world. So, we have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to Himself, according to the good pleasure of His will, to the praise of the glory of His grace, by which He has made us accepted in the Beloved. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you've been accepted in the Beloved. Quit trying to be accepted into the things of the world. Just be accepted in the Beloved. In Him, it says, we have redemption. Verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace, which He made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of His will according to His good pleasure, which He purposed in Himself, that in the dispensation, <coughs> excuse me, in the dispensation of the fullness of the times, He might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, in Him. So folks, the, the important thing is, you gotta be in Christ. It doesn't happen when you're out of Christ. You need to be in Christ. We go on. 
Verse 11, In Him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. There's our birthright. That we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of, salva- of your salvation, in whom also having believed you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of His glory. You have been sealed until the day of Christ. You're kept. Isn't that a wonderful promise? Isn't that a wonderful birthright that we have in Christ? But we got to be in Christ. Are you in Christ today? So consider this. Consider these questions before you take the bread and the cup. Are we making impulsive decisions? Or are we making wise preparations? Are we choosing the temporal over the eternal? Or are we choosing the eternal over the temporal? Which one is it? My encouragement to you today is this. Keep your eyes on eternity. While you live on this earth and fulfill the ministry that God has given you, keep your eyes on eternity. And most importantly, keep your eyes on Jesus. You see, a lot of times people will tell you, listen, you need to come, you need to come to, to this book or that book or this liturgy or that liturgy or this and that, you know. This is how you may find the Lord. No, you find the Lord by coming to Him because Jesus said, come unto me all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Jesus said, I'm here. Come to me. Not to something else or something else. Come to me. Have you come to him? I can tell you this. Before you take the bread and the cup today, you can say, Lord, I come to you now. I come because I am weary. Because I'm, li- I'm, because I'm heavy laden with sin. I'm heavy laden with the burdens of the guilt that I've carried because of the sins that I carry. But Lord, I believe today with all my heart that Jesus died for me. Died on the cross. That this little piece of bread that we're going to hold in our hands, this bread represents that body that took my sins. And this cup is just representative of the blood that Jesus shed to forgive me of my sins. I believe that today and I stand on it. That's the change that some of you may need. Some of us may just need to come back to that. Only you and the Lord know. But take the cup and take the bread. Why? Because it is for sinners. And we need to be restored today. Let's pray.